All right, so if you're new to us, welcome. My name is Ebony. My husband, Tom, is the lead pastor here at Restored Temecula. So he, Herrick, and Jason are currently in South Africa. Um, and they're ministering to a couple of churches that we love and partner with. And uh, them being there is actually a huge part of our heart as a church. And seeing really God as a father of all nations. So not just, in remembering basically, we're not limited to an American story, but we are actually part of a much larger global story. Um, Also, one of our values here at Restored is one of multiplication. So we are the fourth church plant of the Restored family of churches in the last seven years. And uh, God has entrusted Andy and his wife Jackie with the vision and heartbeat behind Restored. And um, they are still faithfully leading, actually, there in the first church plant in Uptown San Diego. So we're really lucky to have him this morning. And um, also, too, I just want to take a moment before I bring him up. I want to clarify, Andy is not a guest speaker. (laughs) Um, He is a dear friend and a beloved brother to us all. He actually joined us in praying for you, for all of you, before we even had a face. We would not be here today if it wasn't for this man's faithfulness and obedience to the call Jesus has played over his life. Church planning's not easy. <laughs> it's not luxurious, comfortable. Um, he has sacrificed so much and continues to sacrifice, sacrifice, make great sacrifices for the glory of God's kingdom, not building his own, but really for expanding God's kingdom and just um, with the vision of restored church. So I really want to honor this man um, for the gift that he is uh, to us, not only this morning, because it really is a gift to have him here this morning, but also I want to take a moment to remember the past years that have really informed who we are as a church today. So ladies and gentlemen, warm welcome for Andy Rogers. Um, Also, before he begins, I'd just love to pray. Um, Father God, I thank you so much for Andy. He truly is a gift, and um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just pour in just an overflow of your love. I know you love this man dearly. I've seen it in just the ways that we've experienced love through him, and that it really is an outpour. So I just pray for more of that, God, um, that as you pour in, he pours out, and that we all just see more of who you truly are, Jesus, And you are the one that's receiving all the glory in it, God. So I just thank you. I pray that you empower him, encourage him, and um, that we can all receive just more of you this morning, God. I thank you so much. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. 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 
Uh, thanks so much, Eb. Uh, it's honestly a privilege to be here. And like I said, I, I really did spend time praying for you guys. I didn't know you, but I prayed for you. And a lot of you guys, I, I'm still praying for you. I pray for this church um, pretty much every day. I think about you. I uh, care about you even if I don't know you. And I will say this. You guys do owe me a thank you because Tom wanted to plant a church in like Brooklyn, New York or like Europe. Like he was really going crazy with his ideas. I was like, bro, I think like just where you're from. It'd be great. And he's like, no, nah, man, like Hong Kong. I was like, no, nah, man, I think like, and, uh, and so, man, as you know, there's such a gift, Tom and Ebony. And um, I think uh, there's been a lot of um, people that are in this room and who aren't in this room who've been blessed by this community. And so, so excited um, they did decide to plant here. A um, couple quick things. One I was just going to say, speaking of um, South Africa, I have a couple here from South Africa originally, Bruce and Gaynor Richter, um, and a kind of extended family of mine. And I'm so stoked to have them today, here today. And they've um, helped lead churches and do all kinds of amazing ministry um, all over the world as well. And, uh, and that being said, I, I, you guys are a younger church, right? And uh, I just want to say this. I, I think that it's important at the outset, like when you start something, to go, okay, what are we going for? I read a book recently, and it was a book on transformation, and it had a challenging exercise, one that might sound kind of like a downer, but I'm going to bring it up anyways because I love you. And in the book, it said, I want you to write your own obituary or your own eulogy, what, at, at the, at, at the, when you think through the direction you're actually going in and what you actually give your life to day in and day out, which becomes week in and week out, which becomes month in and month out, which becomes year in and year out, um, what likely would your life be about if you kept pursuing the things you're pursuing? What would people know you for? What would they say about you at your funeral? Would they talk about your, your, you know, what would they talk about, you know? And I found it to be a really, really sobering thing. And I had to think through, okay, how do I build a life that reflects what I want them to say, not what they'll probably actually say if I don't make some key changes in my life? We can say we, we care a ton about Jesus or about people or whatever, um, but, our, but our, our lifestyle shows. Actually, he was really about his career. Uh, man, I could show you guys all the, um, all the, all the good reviews he got at work, right? We're going to do a t- the eulogy. Uh, we're just going to put him up. His boss said, way to go. His boss said five out of five. His boss said 10 out of 10. Here's his promotion. Here's where he got bumped up to 70 hours a week and he stopped talking to his family. Here, you see what I'm saying? Like what you actually live for. And as a church, it's no different. What, do you, what, what does this church want to be known for in 10, 20, 30, 40 years? We all know churches that we, we see them. We go, man, this doesn't look anything like what the New Testament says church. Like this is so strange. I, I was, uh, me and Tom went to Israel. As you guys know, I was with Ebony in Israel. And we went to the, the church in uh, Bethlehem where they say Jesus was born. I don't think he was born there. But he was, you know, it's the, the vicinity. And, uh, and it's shared by, it's a big cathedral. It's shared by four uh, uh, traditional denominations, all who claim to be Christian. And, uh, and so there's this big golden palace looking thing right above like this, you know, and where Jesus was born looks like a really like hipster um, fireplace basically. And, uh, and then what was crazy to me was the room upstairs. Um, there was literally like mobs fighting from the different denominations, different groups. There was a guy who just looked like a Pharisee. I think he was a Greek Orthodox guy. He had a long beard and he just was like, and I made this buddy named uh, Peter. He's from Australia as a missionary uh, in Australia. And he, he just goes, and he just got done praying. <laughs> Imagine how mean he is normally. And, uh, and it was just like, I don't think this is what, so how did they get to that space? And I think that can happen to, to any of us, man. What really matters in church? And you're a new church. I don't think when Jesus was born, he was like, man, I want you guys to build a palace here and, and create a holy huddle. Um, ignore the, the poor Palestinians that are around you and just argue over who gets to use the gold room. 
It's, it's crazy. So what should, what should churches be known for? What does Jesus want this church to become? What does he want this church to be known for? What, what's like a, an irreducible like, quality that, that this, this, this church has to have? What's the calling of this church? What is your calling? What if I told you that I knew the calling that Jesus had for this church? And I knew the calling that Jesus had for every person in this room right now. Because I do. You thought Tom's prophetic. You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) There is a specific calling God has for us personally, but there's a calling that everyone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus has. And it can be done in any job, in any country in the world, any city in the world. It can be done if you are single. It can be done if you are married. It can be done if you are divorced or widowed. It can be done if you are rich or poor. It can be done if you are young or old, black or white, Latino, Republican, Democrat, hipster or bro, whatever you fall into. You can do this. Folgers or uh, what's the coffee place you guys love? Huh? Oh, I thought it was Starbucks. I didn't know. So, so we're just kidding. Whatever, whatever space or place, whatever stage in life, whatever preferences you have, Jesus is saying to do this one seemingly small thing and this one seemingly small thing will absolutely change the world and change this valley and change this church and change your life. Are you ready to find out what it is? Your calling is, all right, if you guys have Bibles, turn to John chapter 13, all right, John chapter 13, um, a little context on uh, John, our church has been going through it for a while, but John 13 through 17 are Jesus' last moments with his disciples before he goes to die on the cross for them and for us. Typically, last words are just weightier words, so you want to really listen in. Typically, when you think through last words, you don't have time to waste words when they're your last ones. You don't have time to talk about the Dodgers choking again in the playoffs. You don't have time to talk about, you know, the weather or where someone got their hair done. And to set the stage for today's passage, Jesus has just got done serving the disciples by washing their feet. A scandalous act, if you know the context. And Judas is just left to go and betray him. He just announced to the crew, um, one of our guys just turned on us. He's defected, and he's gonna, you're going to be hunted like animals soon, and I'm going to go die on a cross. Spoiler alert, the kingdom doesn't look like you think it's going to look. And, after he, and, then he, and then he goes and just lays out a calling, a command on his disciples. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. By the way, because of the podium setup, uh, it's a little different than I'm used to. I, there's not enough room with the iPad and the Bible, so I'm not going to read from this physical book today. Um, but all of these verses are in a physical book, and you can look them up. They'll all be up here, all right? John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love, right? So, so by, by this, what? It, by this isn't, isn't a dope building. It's not an amazing worship band like, that flows like the one that was just up here. It's not uh, the quality of your, your Augie's coffee or Bird Rock if you're in San Diego. It's not your branding or your Instagram or your app. Those things are all fine, but it's not what you should be known for. It's not your amazing, Tracy, kids ministry is amazing. It's not because you have a great kids ministry with a rock climbing wall and a pirate ship. No, he says the love you have for one another. The love you have for one another that reflects my love for you. It sounds simple, but it's really hard. 
But I want you to think for a second, um, how would the people in your relational network on the outside be impacted if they looked at restored Temecula and said, man, look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. Um, we're going to be sending um, in about three months, as you guys know. By the way, as a new church plant, you guys pitched in on this, which is amazing. We're sending a couple in three months to Tunisia, the northernmost point in Africa. It is a Muslim-majority nation. It's 99% Sunni Muslim, um, and uh, it's in the 1040 window. And we're going to be sending a couple there. And, uh, and there's a guy from Tunisia, a guy named Tertullian. And Tertullian lived in the third century. Um, he is actually um, the, the church father. Uh, who, he was the first person to give the label Trinity to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Kind of a big deal. Happened in Tunis, in Carthage, the city we're sending the cup, which is wild city uh, in Christian history. Um, and he was known as an apologist. He defended the church from attacks from pagans and Stoics and, and philosophers at the time who, who were trying to tear down um, who Jesus was and the claims of the gospel. So he philosophically wrestled with apologetics and intellect. So world-class guy, like Latin, Greek. I mean, this guy was brilliant. But, but it was funny, as much as he... Um, loved a good argument. He loved a good debate. He loved rhetoric. He loved theology. He loved philosophy. He said the thing that is going to convert the world is not lofty arguments. He said this. This is a direct quote from Tertullian, early church father. He says, "Um, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another how they are ready even to die for one another. That's how Tertullian described the church in the first century, that they weren't, again, like a family, they were a family. Many of them lost their families and were kicked out of their families to follow Jesus. And that was painful, but it was okay because they had a new family. Man, look at the way that they loved one another. So, so, so what do people say when they look into this church at the way you love one another, the way you do conflict? The way you project your insecurity on people, can you admit that? The way that, that we're all still, because of the fall, we were designed to love God and love one another. And since the fall, we, we, we're kind of turned in on ourselves. We love ourselves. And we, we, we are learning to love like Jesus. Disciple means learner, literally in Greek, the, the word. Apprentice learner, we're learning to love like Jesus. But it's a, it's a long school. school love school is a, is a long degree. It's longer than med school, but it's more important. And so in common Greek, um, uh, so here, so I just want to get into like what love is and what, I think I have three main points on what love isn't, what love is, and what love looks like. Um, in common Greek, there are three words for love. The New Testament was written in common Greek. Um, there are three words. The first word, uh, it describes romantic love. It's the word eros, where we get the word erotic, sexy stuff right there. It's a sexy Greek, Greek lesson. Were you familiar with that? Uh, it's actually not used in the New Testament, um, actually. The second word is uh, described brotherly love. Uh, it's the word uh, phileo. Uh, that is why Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. That might be a confusing nickname if you've been to Philly. You're like, why do they call this this? It's because of the name, okay? My family's from Boston. We had, we had a lot of Philly hate in the fam. The third Greek word for love is the one Jesus is going to call us to today. The love that should mark a disciple. The love displayed by Jesus on the cross. It's the word Agape. Um, it's, it's, it's the kind of love Jesus has for us. It's the kind of love we're called to have for one another. John 13, 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. Love is, it's, it's that kind of love. But before we get into that, I think it's so important that we talk about what love isn't, okay? Um, because if you just jump on social media or just talk to people, 
you will hear a lot of people saying they love a lot of different things. Um, it, it's Oscar season, right? Uh, people, people have been saying they loved so-and-so's acting performance in a movie. He seemed so genuinely distraught and depressed. I loved it. He seemed so, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I love the new taco spot. I love a great, I love this great, there's this new beer, it's great, or, or this new Temecula, right? I love this wine. Man, I love my sneakers. Man, I love my socks. I love, oh man, I have the best, I just, this friend that I love so much. Man, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my job. I love Jesus. What are we talking about? We say we love all kinds of things. So what does love really mean, okay? So, so the first point is love, what love isn't, okay? The first thing is love isn't a feeling, okay? That's so, so, so important. Love isn't a feeling. Now, love can have feelings in it. I don't think love is um, less than a feeling, but it is much more than a feeling. Um, when many of us say, I love you, we mean, I love the way you make me feel, if we're honest. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Tripp um, has this example in, in, in one of his books. He says, imagine a woman who has a dream of what her life looks like with career, career goals, financial goals, relationship goals, and beauty goals. She realizes it's time to get married, so she starts dating and finds someone that fits her dreams for her life. She weighs his financials, his looks, and his family. Then she decides that she loves him. She is attracted to the man because she loves herself. She loves that this man is going to complete her dream for herself. This is not actually love. It may be attraction. It may be powerful romance. It may result in fun together, but it's not love. What if, what if, what if this guy gets right? He gets sick. He gets old. Uh, this isn't Paul Tripp anymore. Okay. It's going to get a lot looser, the language. <laughs> what if this guy gets sick, gets old, loses wealth, sins against her? Might happen. Will her love hold up? If the, the key idea is, I love the way you make me feel. A lot of people will say, we fell out of love. That's code for it. They don't make me feel the same way. Which even the most mature, healthy love doesn't stay like it was when you were dating. It matures, but it's not always just giggly. It's, it's, we'll get into it. Um, love isn't unconditional affirmation and acceptance of someone's choices. Love isn't unconditional affirmation and acceptance of someone's choices. Um, how does our world define love right now? Western world. For many people, it's unconditional acceptance and affirmation of whatever you want to do, be, say, or think. If you suggest that someone is wrong, it's considered hate speech. Because if love is unconditional acceptance and affirmation of what someone does, then anyone who says you are wrong hates you. Now, this is crazy, right? Look, we know you don't have anyone in your life that you agree with them on everything. Um, has Danny Kimlot ever been up here? Okay, this is a restored South Bay, our, our second church plant. It's led by a guy named Danny Kimlot. His wife's name is Monique Kimlot, and I'm just going to put her on blast here. She is a hairstylist. Now, recently, last, I've gotten a new hairstyle. My wife's, it's my wife's doing. She's into it. That's all that really matters. <laughs> but recently, we had dinner with, with their elders and uh, their wives, and, and I sat down. And Monique, who I know is a hair professional, looked at me and said, that's what you're doing with your hair, huh? Amazing moment and, and uh, just outdoing one another and showing on her history, right? She, I know she loves me. She does not like my hair. That can, right? that can happen at a silly level. That can happen at a big level. We all know people that, that got married to someone. We go, ah, I, you know, not, not abusive, not, not sinful, not crazy, but just like not my favorite. I would have I loved if it was someone else. 
I'm positive whoever my daughter marries is going to be that way. You go, I don't agree, but I, but I love you, right? I, I'm for you. I don't think it's wise for you to take that job. I don't hate you, but, but, but I think it's you know, wrong, whatever it is. Or like actual sin. Dude, dude, the way you talk to your wife was not all right. I love you. I actually love you because I'm, that's why I'm telling you. Um, right? But we're in a culture where it's like, man, leave your wife and kids for your pretty secretary 20 years younger. Man, way to go. Follow your heart. You always have to do what you feel, man. You have an addiction or you're, an un, you're in an unhealthy, codependent, maybe even abusive relationship. Right? I'm not going to speak up. I disagree. I worry about you, but I'm not going to tell you. That is not love. That is hatred to see someone destroying themselves and you sit by and watch it happen. That's not love. Here's what's so crazy about Jesus. Jesus had no problem telling people you are absolutely wrong and I absolutely adore you at the same time. You're wrong and I love you. You cannot grow as a Christian if you haven't heard. That could, to be honest, the gospel is much more than this, but, it, but you could reduce it down to you're wrong and I love you. You can't enter the kingdom if you don't believe that. And you can't grow in your faith. We grow through repentance and faith. You can't repent of anything if you're always right. You're always, you, no one can ever tell you. And we see this, right? Uh, John chapter three, verses 16 to 18. Again, I think we think um, Jesus, you know, it's like, uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. He's fun. He's chill. He would never challenge me. People say, oh man, they love Jesus, but not the church. I was like, they probably haven't actually read the words of Jesus. Okay, I want to give you an example. John three sixteen. Jesus says, for God so loved the world, right? There's that love that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. This, looks, this is so loving. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, though, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Just go to work and tell people, hey, if you don't believe in the Son of God, you're condemned. Right? How's that going to go? Right? Like, but, but, but Jesus had no, I'm not telling you to do that, by the way. There's better ways to do evangelism than that. There's, there's a weight and a truth to that, though. If you reject Jesus, this, we believe there are consequences. So, so again, Jesus, who was perfect in love, if he could say hard things and love can't be, I always make you feel comfortable and I accept and affirm everything that you do, every decision that you make. So not true. Again, some people, uh, uh, millennials, uh, I'm a millennial, right? So, so I can say this. We have to stop believing the lie that if someone tells you you're wrong, that they're a hater. Because they might just love you. It's so not true. that they. Uh, do you know how awkward it is for most people to sit down and look you in the eyes and say, I love you and I'm worried about you? Now, again, maybe the biggest fear in millennial life is awkwardness. Oh man, it'll be awkward. Don't make eye contact, it'll be awkward. Yeah, but it could also be loving, right? Don't say this hard thing. Um, do you know how awkward it is to say, I see this thing in your life and it seems like it's pulling you away from Jesus. It seems like it isn't healthy for you. I think it's destroying your relationships. Like straight up, I love you, but you're making no attempt to obey Jesus in this area of your life. Some of us need to, lo- need to love others by telling them something gently um, that they... Uh, some of us need to love others by telling them something gently they need to share that may cause them to even reject you. So again, someone maybe will misunderstand you. Uh, again, as long as your approach is gentle and loving, if, if it's true. And even if it's not true, this is what's cool. As you grow and mature in Jesus, you really believe I'm wrong and I'm loved, 
Um, that means that like someone could come to you and go, hey, I'm worried this might be going on. They could be wrong, and you'll even see that as an act of love. You will go, you idiot, you're wrong. They go, man, they cared enough about me to ask that. They cared enough about my marriage to just ask that question. They didn't go gossip to a million people. They just put me aside and say, hey, are you guys okay? That's, that's beautiful, even if it's wrong. There's times with my kids where I, um, I'm like, do you guys have your seatbelt on? And they do. I'm like, put it. And, and again, that, that's not an act of me being a jerk, even though I'm wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's an act of love. And he's like, dad, I'm fine. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> so, so key. Keep moving. Keep, keep moving. Um, the other thing love isn't, is it, it is an attraction. Okay. Um, again, there, there's physical, the eros, the right, kind of the sexy attraction. But I think a lot of us, we also, um, we think love is just being attracted to someone. I'm not just talking physically, right? Um, have you ever said, man, I love that person. I love that person. What do we usually mean, right? They're, they have an attractive personality, right? Emotionally, mentally, uh, they're stimulating. It's like, man, I love talking to them. Or, right, we have similar interests, right? We love all the same stuff, right? Because I, I love me some me. So if you love the things that me like, me like you, right? Oh, we like the same, the same things, right? Every romantic comedy, so, right? Oh you, oh, you love the same obscure band I do? I think we're going to be together. You love that, that, you love that Swedish director from art house cinema, 70s. No one knows him, but he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. Oh, if, he's, if he didn't die, he could have been the best director of all time. Oh, man, we should have kids together, right? It's just like, oh, man, I like that we like the same things. There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying people that have similar interests, um, but that's not love. Jesus loves us. We are very different to him in every single way. Love isn't, you're, you're the same age, same race, same socioeconomic status. So you like the same bands. It's more. And the second point is, um, and by the way, I know, I also know it's not that because Jesus loved the way that I love you, like I just said. But also, he says, by the way, you love one another. Men and women will know you're my disciples. No one is shocked when people with all the same interests like hanging out together. No one's like, man, what supernatural force got these guys that all dress the same and talk the same to be friends? The spirit's real. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, recently I had, um, I had my, my neighbor um, who has special needs over, and, uh, and, and I had another guy over um, who's from, from Liberia, from Guinea, whose um, mom fled the Civil War in Liberia, and he just got here, and he's trying to figure his life out, and our church has been loving him, um, and, uh, and he's been, and he sees that we're all different races, we're different spaces, and when, when they see that there's like, why are they friends? You know, man, maybe there's something that connects them that's bigger than anything that you can see, because there is. It's Jesus. Um, the second point is um, what love is, okay? And, John, and he clarifies this, John 13, 34. Um, he says, um, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So the way that we, we determine what love is is by looking to the way that Jesus has loved us. And we know at this point in the gospel, the cross looms large. Jesus is about to go die on the cross and pour out his agape love. And so really the cross shapes what love is. The cross shapes what love is. Uh, Paul Tripp again has, got a, has a definition of love that is really helpful in describing what a cross-shaped love looks like. I think it's so helpful um, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it. I'm, gonna make, I'm just going to kind of go through the definition and keep adding to help you see what it looks like. So I'm going to read it twice and then we'll unpack this definition slowly. Love 
is willing self-sacrifice. This is agape love. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that, or that the person being loved is deserving. Okay, so I want to unpack that. Okay, love is willing. It's really important. Love, it can't be forced. So what's so interesting about our faith, because there's a lot of other religions in the world that can be spread. Um, Islam, that's how it spread so quickly, was that the, it's convert or you die, right? And that's not an anti that's just the way it spread for a long time, for better or worse. A lot of Muslims would even say, we don't want to do it that way anymore. But that's the way it spread. Christianity, um, it, it's love. It's an act. You have to want to do it. It has to be a desire of your heart. It's not just obeying. It's, 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 it's loving God that leads to, to the obedience. Um, uh, so love is willing. John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, Jesus says this. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I, may t- that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. If someone's taking something from you, it's not an act of love. It's abuse. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. It wasn't weakness that held Jesus up on the cross. He could have got off if he wanted to, even when they were mocking him. Love kept him up there. It's not that he couldn't, it's that he wouldn't. That's why um, love can't be misconstrued as abuse because true love is a choice. The loving person is making a choice, not being coerced or manipulated or intimidated. The second thing love is, is love is willing self-sacrifice. So we're adding self-sacrifice. John 15, 13, Jesus says this. It's coming and it's gonna be good. John 15, 13. Maybe I didn't give it to the guys. That's my fault. Maybe. Okay, I'll just read it. It says, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. Again, if you just want to feel good, someone that makes you feel good, you, you, you're not, you're not going to be a good lover. You're not going to last long in the, in the school of, of love. Because parenting and singleness and marriage and life in the body of Christ, any friendship worth anything is going to require you to sacrifice your desires and wants to grow in intimacy. There will be plane trips taken, money spent, uh, being more emotionally vulnerable than you wanted to, practically serving. There's a self-sacrifice nature. It can mean being silent when you want to speak. You're like me, you talk all the time. You guys are already probably thinking, man, this guy's talked more than I want him to. It can also mean, um, it can be silent when you want to speak, but it can also mean speaking up when you'd prefer to be silent. Self-sacrifice. It can mean doing what you, it can be, it can mean doing, um, uh, yeah, it can, mean, it can mean doing things when you want to rest, and it can mean resting when you want to do. It can be um, letting your spouse where to go on date night. Yo. Or it can mean picking where to go on date night if your spouse is like mine and she's crippled with decision anxiety every Friday. It can mean cleaning up after someone. It can mean all kinds of things. Um, but it's not just willing self-sacrifice. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. It's entering into someone else's world. It's listening and looking. It's feeling and acting for the good of someone else. Self-sacrifice can still be for you. Good, wise maybe, but for you. 
losing weight, saving money. Those are acts of self-sacrifice, right? Short-term pain for long-term gain, but they're not inherently for others. Again, they're, not, they're good to do. They're wise to do often. But they're not inherently loving. But, but the entire gospel story is one of self-sacrifice for the good of another. It climaxes in the cross, but the whole time Jesus is sacrificing himself. He empties himself of divine right and becomes a baby. The one who created the world by his word became unable to utter a word. Then he sacrificially bears with his stupid, selfish disciples, which is good news for us because we're pretty stupid and selfish a lot. All the pain he feels, the temptations he endures, Jesus is tempted in every way, the book of Hebrews says. Just think about that for a second. His faithfulness to not succumb to those temptations is for you and me. It's maintaining his perfection that he might be the perfect sacrifice. And then the agony of the beatings, the mocking, the, the being stripped naked, the being you know, flesh whipped off of his skin, the brutal death on the cross. It's all one massive act of self-sacrifice for the good of another. Love is for the other person. It's for Jesus um, if again, if it's for your good, it's not love. So love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another um, that does not require reciprocation. It's like brass tacks love now, right? Doesn't require reciprocation. Romans 5.8 says this. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Greek, it says while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were actively opposed to who God was, If Jesus had waited until we were able to reciprocate, there would be no hope for us. If love requires reciprocation, then it isn't love. It's getting what you want by playing the long game. I'm waiting to get something back. Some of you guys are wondering, man, what can I do in my marriage? What can I do in my workplace? What can I do with my kids? And maybe it's just starting to love without needing anything in return. Faith working itself out in love. As As I'm trusting Jesus, faith I'm going to love this person and see what he does. By the way, quick caveat. um, Love does not require reciprocation. Trust does require reciprocation. Okay? Love and trust are not the same thing. So an abusive person, an adulterous spouse, an addict who has taken advantage of you again and again, you are absolutely called to love those people, but you are not necessarily called to trust them if they don't prove that they are trustworthy. Those are different things. But welcoming them, loving them, trying to help them, absolutely. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Jesus was willing to go to the cross and carry our sin precisely because there was nothing we could ever do to earn, achieve, or deserve the love of God. If you're only interested in loving people who are deserving, the reality is that you're motivated by love, but not by love for them, but by love for yourself. Love does its best work when the other person is undeserving. It's in these moments that love is most needed. It's in these moments that love is protective and preventative. It stays the course while refusing to quit or get down and get dirty and give way to things that are anything but love. We had a, a time recently in our church, um, and, uh, and, and they've shared this story publicly quite a bit. I've talked to them, and, 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 um, but, but we had a couple in our church about two years ago where there was a guy who's a, who's a worship leader in our community, and um, his dad passed away. His wife was about eight months pregnant, and um, during that time frame, um, he 
found out in a real big way that he was bipolar and he went on a manic episode that lasted four months. Almost unheard of. And if you don't know what that's it's like, it's literally, he, and, he, and he, was, he was psychotic also. Like he literally, you, you could not, um, he was dangerous to himself, he was dangerous to others. And, um, and his wife, um, she had to give birth, not with her husband there, but with her gospel community leader in the room with her. Because he was in a mental hospital. And I remember over and over again, it was just so hard, man, to pursue him and to, to sit with him. And I would sit with him. And, I, and, and the whole time we're trying to talk him into getting help. And one of the hardest parts about someone who's in mania, like legit mania, is, is they don't want help. They, they think they're fine and everyone else is crazy. And so you're just laboring with him going, dude, where is your wife right now? And he starts bagging on, you know, wh- where are you right now? Where is your son right now? Why do you think I'm here right now? And, 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 he, and he was blowing through money, and he was making purchases, and he destroyed their home on literally because he thought he was remodeling it. Like he literally, but but literally every day, I would connect with him, and I would try to get him to take some medicine, and I would try to talk him into going to get treatment. Everyone was waiting. We had stuff set up for him over and over and over again, but it was so it was so messy. It was so confusing, and there were so many moments where where there was just such a clear space of he can't reciprocate. There were times when he actually offended me. He told me he got arrested. He like lied to me and I went looking for him in jails. I mean, I can't even tell you like how, and then seeing the pain it was causing his wife, but also going, he, he, he really was sick. And, um, and over the last year, uh, he, we ended up, uh, we had a space. I, I flew with him to Tennessee and uh, we got him into a clinic. And over time, long story short, what happened was is he's experienced deep, deep, deep transformation. And it's been beautiful. And uh, last week, actually, I, I shared this message, and um, he got up and shared a story in front of the church, or even people that didn't even know them. But, but I watched our whole church, not just me, but our whole church rally. Someone had to deal with their, their HOA because their condo was damaged. It damaged other condos. It was flooded. Someone else had to um, do some of the construction. Someone else had to, a uh, tier designer, design it out. Because, again, he, he's in the space. He's in the hospital, and his wife just had a baby. Someone else let his wife live somewhere for free um, uh, while, while he was getting better. Um, people were over there every day making sure he didn't hurt himself. We called the cops multiple times because we loved him. And he was doing stuff that we thought was unsafe. And I go on and on and on about the way the community loved them. And honestly, it was just such, so many people were like, why do you guys help him at the, you know, like outsiders? And I was like, dude, he's, he's my brother. He's my sick brother. This is, this is, this is messier than maybe the way a medical thing would look. Um, but, but, but that's where we're at. And uh, we got to see him loved into a space. And I have to say, like, I experienced Jesus so much walking with this guy and seeing people walk with this guy. Because so I was like, man, I am so difficult to Jesus. Again, in his, in his worst moments, he was difficult to love. It was not his fault, but it was, it was hard. And, um, and in the same way that Jesus steps in and he loves us, again, lo- love is profound. People go, what? This is, this is amazing. So we've discussed what love is, isn't and what love is. And now my third and final point is what does love look like? In other words, how do we love practically? Give you a couple quick examples. One, it's serving. Right before this passage of John 13, earlier in John 13, he washes his disciples' feet. It can mean staying up late while someone pours their heart out. It can mean fixing up someone's house. It can mean babysitting, not for pay. It can mean visiting them, someone in the hospital. It can mean running errands for someone who's in an insane season of life. Again, we are all called to serve. We're not all called to serve everyone all the time. Because uh, you'd, you'd never, you wouldn't serve anyone, you'd just be, you know. Um, but we're all called to serve someone sacrificially. There should be someone in your life where you go, man, it costs me to serve them. Can't be everyone all the time where you burn out, but it's got to be someone. And if, if you're always being served and you never serve, something's out of whack. 
encourage you to pray through that. Second one is giving. Um, Jesus gave up everything on the cross. In First John, John three sixteen to 18, John writes this. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Don't go, ah, oh, you, you lost your job. You have nowhere to stay. I'll be praying for you, man. Brother, I, I've been in church with Fred. Right, no, no, no. Okay, you can stay with us. Or we're going we're to figure it out. If you were actually my brother and sister, we'd figure this thing out. And if we're a family, I could say, hey, you need to make sure you get a job, right? For a family, there's this love, this, this I love you and you're wrong, and I love you and I'm, I'm caring for you. It's like, uh, I, was, I was given a car one time. Uh, I was actually given a car two times. Um, uh, one of the times, it was, it was basically a necessity. We were getting ready to plant the church. We found out we had a second kid on the way. We had a two-door Pontiac Sunfire with 170,000 miles right when we decided to quit our job and raise a salary to be planters. And fundraising wasn't going well. And uh, we were in the middle of a worship gathering, and some people in the community knew about the need. And a guy came up to me, a guy who was moving to China to be a missionary. He was also fundraising. And he said, I have a, um, this was in 2010, he said, I have a two-year-old 2010 Chevy Trailblazer. It's got like 15,000 miles on it, and we want to give it to you. It's worth about 15 grand. And I remember I was, I was blown away. I was crying, and I was like, thank you so much. And he said, don't thank me. I didn't even want to give it to you. He said, Jesus told me to give it to you. I was like, we could sell it. We need money. We're going to China. <laughs> but, but, but absolutely, Jesus told me to. It could be letting someone borrow your car. It could be providing a service for free when someone is in need and they can't afford it. I'm not saying, by the way, you, you, like, if, you have a, if you're in the church and you have a business, right, you have to give everyone free stuff, right? Or you won't have a Christian business to run. <laughs> but if someone can't afford it and they have a real need, you go, Absolutely. Can mean opening up your home, letting people stay with you a month because they need it. That gal in my, like her house was destroyed, she just had a baby. Just think about that. She doesn't have the guy. And, and we created space for her and, and um, it's just amazing watching people step in. I remember, uh, but, but John says, man, it needs to be um, in word and deed. It can't just be like, right? It's actually giving, right? It costly. We're called the generosity, sacrificial giving. Our stuff is not our own. Your house isn't yours. You're your steward. Your money's not your own. You're a steward. Um, I remember um, when we were fundraising to, to plant, and there was a guy, and he basically said, man, I'm going to give you $1,000 a month. I'm this huge giver. I got this. And uh, like month one went by, month two went by, month three went by. And then he always had a reason, like, oh, this thing happened this month. And, um, and it was like crushing. Like it was just like, it was like, oh, we had to buy a couch. You had to buy a couch. And again, it's an honor he's giving it, but dude, I didn't, you committed, I didn't, right? Like, it's just awkward for me. I'm like, you said, dude, you're going to buy a couch and not give me money? It's like, well, that, that's weird. But, but, he, but he said, you know, so it was this weird thing and I didn't feel like I could challenge him on it. And then I had another gal call me and she said, hey, Andy, I just got a, a job. And, and, um, and uh, after our tithes, um, this is a girl, not, not super wealthy, a friend of mine's wife. She said, we want to give you $250 a month. And I just remember hanging up the phone and just weeping. Right? $250 a month is not paying all my bills, but it's paying a bill for sure. And I knew what it cost them. I knew it was an act of love for them to give it. So it's giving. Another, thing, another way we can love practically is listening. It is such a gift. We lived in the most distracted age maybe in human history. Because we have these demons in our hands all the time. 
notifications. No, like you, you, you always have way more information than you need. And it keeps you from, from being present with the most important people in our lives. Never mind the people that you, you're loving like Jesus who are new to the church. Whatever it, you're engaging. It's such a gift to listen to someone in such a way that they know they're being listened to. If you read the Gospels, there's a book, by the way, you absolutely need to buy it. You just need to buy it. It's called Love Walked Among Us by a guy named Paul Miller. It's a study of the life of Jesus through the lens of the way that he modeled loving perfectly. If you're, over, if you're codependent and you commit to everyone and, and, you, and you try to love everyone, the book's for you. If you're selfish, and you know, if you're somewhere, it's just for everyone. It's just the way that Jesus loved. But one of the things it talks about is the way that he looked at and listened to people. Such a gift in an age of distraction to go like, I'm just listening to you and I'm taking in what you're saying. Because it's a sacrifice to listen to people. It requires love. It also um, informs how we can love other ways better. I have guys all the time when I do premarital counseling or marital counseling or they just come up to me and they go, how do I love my wife better, Andy? How, how do I love my wife better? And I have to look right back at them and go, I don't know. I'm not married to your wife. But if you want to know, man, listen to her. And I bet you she'll probably say some things she wants. Some ways she'd feel loved and appreciated and cared for. A lot of the stuff I do with marriage counseling stuff is I go, I just open up space for the wife to talk or the husband to talk. And I go, and that was there the whole time. Just you, you plowed them over or you were distracted. And then I go, hey, do you think you could do the stuff they're sharing? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd actually look. Cool, let's, let's do that. And then see what happens. It's the same in the body of Christ. Listen to people, consider people, sacrifice for people. All romances, by the way, a little quick marriage tip. I'm not just speaking to married couples. All romances is listening and then following up with what you heard them say. Oh, you mentioned you like those shoes. Oh, you mentioned you'd want to go there on vacation. Oh, you mentioned that um, that coffee is your favorite. Whatever it is, it could be small to big. Oh, I'm going to go get that. It's just thoughtfulness. Romance is thoughtfulness. It's not art. It's listening and remembering. Love is also speaking truth to people, not about people and, and not avoiding people, right? If I have something I feel like I need to say and it's tough, um, I might want to avoid them. I think it's often how gossip starts. It's someone has a genuine love and they're worried about someone. They're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about Bruce. I don't know what to do about Bruce. I don't know what to do about Bruce. And it's like, dude, just tell Bruce. Now Bruce is crushed when he finds out. Or who, you know what I'm saying? It's, it starts out even like, it just go to them and, and share I've had people come to me and, and again, speak the truth and love me and say, hey, I love you, but you might be bitter towards this person. I love you. I'm worried about you. Why do you think I'm bitter? Because every time they come up, you look like you're going to stab me. <laughs> and, and I got to say, if that's what's coming off without you even knowing, man, what's going on in your heart? It's got to impact your relationship with Jesus. No one can be self-righteous in the presence of God. And the only way to, to really nurse bitterness is to nurse self-righteousness and and that means, like, what, what's your prayer life look like? It can't be exploding right now. I know there's times where forgiving is very difficult. We've been traumatized, abused. I, I understand that, but, but, but there's a journey to start. There's a, there's a desire to move towards it. Um, and someone might say, you know, whatever it is. And the last one is bearing with and forgiving people. Bearing with and forgiving people. Um, Colossians chapter 3, this is my, my end right here. Call the worship band up. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says... Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. By the way, I love that it says bearing with one another because it assumes that people at church are going to get on your nerves. 
right? They didn't sin against you. They're just, a, I need to bear with them, right? There are people, right, that you, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're really extroverted, right? And people that are really quiet weird you out. You're at parties and they're just like, right? Or maybe you're like, everywhere I go, people are always talking and you're an introvert and you, and you recharge by being alone. And you're like, I, can you just shut up, please? This is creepy. But rah, 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 that, that's not great either. Some of you guys are like, uh, man, why can't so-and-so just be on time? They're always late. They're always, you know, and you're just angry, right? And, and some of you guys are like, why can't they just loosen up a little bit? Why can't they, right? Like, it's a, we're going to a social event. This isn't like a, a, an important meeting. It's a party that has a four-hour window, right? Why is it so, why, why, right? We have to bear with one another, right? Some of you guys are like, man, that person really is intense in worship, right? Whoo, they're singing, they're just dancing around. You're like, well, it's a little too much, right? And then some of you guys are like, you're, you know, man, look at that guy just standing there like this, worshiping. Again, we, we, we judge each other, whatever. There's people that are different to us. But we have to bear with each other. There are people that are different. You need to bear with them. A lot of people, they, you know what they do? They, they, in America, we just pick a church based on who. Uh, we either do one of two things. We pick a church where we don't feel like we're going to have to bear with anyone because they're so similar to us. Or two, um, uh, or two, we never get close enough to anyone where we have to bear with them. I would say that. How do you know if church is a family? Have you had to bear with anyone or forgive anyone yet? If you haven't, it's not church. It's like it's not a real relationship. You haven't, you know, had an argument before. Or... And, and by the way, you're someone's bear, just so you know. <laughs> we all like to think we're bear-free, right? We're like the ranger and yogi bear, and everyone else is a bunch of yogis. You're, you, someone has to bear with you, and you can't fathom it because you're just so different, but it's true. You're not always a joy to be around. But, it, but it's not just that. If anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We have been so radically loved by Jesus. We have been forgiven by Jesus. As I have loved you, love one another. Forgive as you have been forgiven. I'm not calling you to do anything I haven't already done for you. what Jesus says to us. And that by the way, we love one another. The world's gonna go, man, I think this Jesus guy is for real. Or at least I really, I have to to get answers. I need to understand this. It could, start, it could start as big as walking a couple through the most traumatic six months of their life like I described earlier, but it can also just be a basic thing. We've had more people come to know Jesus through birthdays at our church than any evangelistic outreach event. They enter the church through birthdays. We throw a birthday, and, uh, and, and you guys know Restored Style, at the end of a birthday, what do we, we have people share affirmations, and they, and they say, here's what I love about you. Here's why I'm so glad, God, why you were born. Here's what I want to affirm in your life. Here's how I want to honor you, which does not happen at most, you know, just random secular birthdays, right? Everyone's frenemies, they're competing. It's, the world's competitive. You're here, but I'm kind of mad you're here, but I can't say you're, I'm mad you're here because it makes me look bad. And, and, and we're this community. Remember one time we had a night where um, we just had a birthday and people were affirming this gal in our church. And, uh, and her, um, her brother-in-law was there who's not a follower of Jesus. And he just said, hey guys, uh, if, you ever, if you ever want to come to my birthday and say something about me, it'd be amazing. <laughs> this little act of love. He's like, dude, what is this? That was, it was free, but it was generous. It was emotional, relational, spiritual generosity. Man, um, the way we love one another makes people go, I got to check this out. So I want to pray, and, uh, and as I go into prayer, I just want to ask this question. Um, is it okay if I switch up a little bit? 
Uh, I, I just want to ask you guys to pray through who is, is Jesus calling you to love anyone better? And here's the beautiful thing because it's not reciprocity driven. They don't even need to know. They don't need to go, hey, I'm going to love you better. I want to encourage you. Is there anyone that God's calling you to love and how is he calling you to love them? Different practical ways. But I want to encourage you this week to, to start that. To like start loving someone um, that can't reciprocate necessarily. It doesn't deserve it, um, but someone that you could love. Maybe it's a coworker, um, uh, and also it's, it might be someone in this church. Again, as, as, a, as a young church, again, it's it's similar to like the relational journey, right? You start dating someone, they're fun, they're fun, they're fun, they're fun, and then third year of marriage hits, your two kids in, the pressure's on, there's fun, right? And, and and love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like sleepless nights, changing diapers. Love looks like getting up early. Love like looks like working two jobs. Love looks like a lot of things that don't look like a romantic comedy, but it is love. And I think in the church, it's the same thing. We have this, man, this is a new church. Everyone likes me. It's so fun. You got coffee for me. You're bringing me donuts. You're smiling. You're hugging me. And and over time, but then we're like, oh, you hurt my feelings. People are going to hurt your feelings here. This is a room full of sinners saved by Jesus who are learning to love. They're in the school of love. They're not graduated. So people are going to hurt you and let you down. I want to encourage you to go to people if you've been hurt. And, 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 and share, hey, you know, uh, I want to I move forward with you. I want to love you. But I think the enemy would love to create disunity in this church, make you suspect each other, make you hold each other to a standard higher than Jesus that you're not held to, by the way. Our heart doesn't hold us to it. It holds other people to it. So I just want to pray and just ask if there's anyone God's calling you to love in or outside of this church. I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would empower you to do it. And, uh, and ask, actually, uh, Bruce, would you be down to pray? Is that Okay. Just that God would empower this church to love like Jesus. Is that okay? Father, we listen to the word this morning, God. We listen to the the challenge put before us so beautifully God that Lord we we have to recognize that when we are weak you are strong and Father even this morning Lord God I just feel the challenge of my weakness when it comes to love Lord God that Father that It's something that I need, Lord God, from you over and over and over and over to be demonstrated in such a beautiful way, whether it be in my marriage, my parenting, my relationship with your beautiful bride, your people, God. And so, Father, we pray this morning for your strength. We pray, Holy Spirit, for your infilling, for your your leadership. Lead us, God to one another's brokenness God lead us to one another's weaknesses God in love that we Father may experience the beautiful outpouring of the cross and salvation and what you've given to us so beautifully Jesus so that we can come God and say that Lord we understand when your word says that you so loved us that you gave us your generosity has been poured out in us and through us and so father help us to be generous in our marriages in our relationships help us be generous 
to one another. And then, Father, as this beautiful story was told this morning, help us to be generously in love with you to the point where, Father, it feels that we have been drained of everything we have for somebody that's so brutally broken, God, in our relationships with other people. God, help us go there, God. Because that's you, Jesus. That's what you did for us. You looked at our violence. You looked at our brokenness. You looked at the the place that we were in and you came towards us, God. You didn't run from us. Let us be like that, God. Father, I pray that this message this morning would saturate this church. Every person, every marriage, every ministry sitting in these seats, God, every one of us has been given the ministry of love and reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Work that in us, God. Work that in us, God. Father, I stand with this leadership team. I stand with Andy and the leaders. And and Father, what you're doing in Temecula. And and Father, we pray your blessing over this church, God. We ask that you fill this place with people that are seeking authentic, genuine relationships with you, God. We love you, Jesus. Don't let that just be something we say comes out of our mouth as a religious thing. Let that be a deep understanding, God. Thank you for this message this morning, God. It's challenging, but it's beautiful, God, and we want to walk in that. Thank you for what you're doing. We dearly love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name.